Yo, have you heard of LinkedIn Learning? If you haven't, LinkedIn Learning is an American massive open online course provider. It provides video courses taught by industry experts in a variety of subjects. Now, why am I sharing this? I'm sharing this because Living Corporate is in partnership with LinkedIn Learning to provide diversity, equity, and inclusion courses. Listen, if you're trying to be a better ally, you want to understand better diversity, equity, inclusion strategies, or you just want to learn how to be a better leader, you got to check out the courses on LinkedIn Learning. So check it out. You can do it one of two ways. You can click the link in the show notes or you go to LinkedIn Learning and you search Living Corporate again. Link in the show notes or go to LinkedIn Learning and search Living Corporate. I'll see you over there. Hey, hey, hey. Happy Saturday. Good morning and hello, everyone. Welcome to the new group chat, Radical Change with Vonda Page. I am your host. And I am so happy and excited today to have with me Dwana Franklin Davis. Hello, CEO of Reboot Representation. And we're going to have an amazing conversation. Um, hopefully you can hear the tunes in the background. That is my daughter, Morgan Reese, her fourth single called Not Cool Anymore. It's out right now on iTunes, Spotify. You can check the video on YouTube. It's everywhere, Amazon. So, um, you know, support. And, um, you know, check her out. I'm looking forward to today's conversation because we are going to get into some tech topics. And before we, you know, really start getting into um, the key reason that I brought Duana on today, let's talk about the tech news. So first, before we get into that, how are you doing um, in New York? How is the weather? How the week treat you so far? Ooh, the week was a busy, crazy, you know, intense week, both in life as well as what's happening in the world. We all know that, right? Um, I'm based in New York City. Everyone down in, at the bottom of the island in the financial district. Um, it's fully fall here now. Like it, the high today is in the upper 60s. So it's a nice fall day. I got gives you that warm and cozy. Let me put on my sweater kind of. So I love fall. Fall's my favorite season. So um, I appreciate a change of seasons because I like a change of fashion. So it's officially boot season out here. Yes. Yes. Love that. But we're we're good. It's been busy. I'm tired. But, you know, I, I am blessed and I'm thankful for all that has happened. Well, that is great. And I'm so glad you're here. Um, Most people know I am here in Portland, Oregon. And fortunately for us, we get to wear boots basically from, you know, uh, September through like May, because, you know, it can rain at any point in time and we can get like 40 degree shifts in weather. So like right now it's like 40 something. And I know when I woke up this morning, my house was, it was 60 degrees. And I was like, I'm not turning on the heat because it's October, right? So who's going to turn on the heat in October? Not me. Cause I'm from the East coast, but it'll probably swing up to like 60 something, but it's like 36, 37 now. So yeah, I had to go back and do the sweater thing. But, um, this week with the news, the tech news specifically, like, okay, the whole world is, you know, going on. Right. And we all, we know all of that, but I'm laser focused on tech. You're focused on tech. And I want to talk about three things. <laughs> Before we get into stuff, um, and the first thing I want to talk about um, is the really good news about the um, the the news about the um, no more um, non disclosure agreements. Um, so I am super excited about that. I was so happy about that, Jimmy Joint. I had to print it out. You printed um, it. You I printed, printed it out. I don't mess around. Okay. <laughs> so let's talk about that for a second. So in case people have not heard about it. Um, California legislative session that's currently in session passed Senate bill number 331. Um, And this uh, bill, um, for those who may not be familiar with it, um, is all about um, uh, all about um, settlement agreements. And a lot of people, especially those of us who have been in tech, who have worked in tech, um, especially in large corporations, you may have had to sign some sort of uh, agreement 
they may have different names to them, but some sort of non-disclosure type agreement that says if you've worked at this company um, uh, and you leave, um, you can't uh, publicly talk about uh, harassment or discrimination or anything like that. Well, this new law that um, the governor uh, just approved on um, the 7th um, is he basically said that now um, that's prohibited. So companies starting January of 2022 cannot tell an employee, even if you leave here, you can't disclose unlawful um, you know, uh, behavior or, or things like that. So I want to just take a few minutes and just talk about, you know, so the, the culture of technology, right, is one of secrecy. Um, and, you know, there's been a whole bunch of conversations about Apple, right, um, trying to maintain this culture of secrecy and, you know, looking for the leakers and all of this kind of stuff. Um, and so I think that this legislation, it really has a big opportunity to do a lot of things as far as how harassment and discrimination and those charges are um, handled in in companies. So, um, yeah, give me your give me your thoughts on on that. Like, I was pumped. I was like, yes, <laughs> yeah. So, I think you know, there's a place for secrecy, right? I mean, the companies, all of these companies, are built on who can get innovations out the fastest, right? And so they don't want that proprietary tech information leaking, which we we can all respect and we get that, right? If we have our companies, we also don't want the, the competitor to have that proprietary top secret thing that's going to make your your thing amazing. So Absolutely. we can get that and we can, that's a common sense. Yes, we get that. But when it comes to how people are treated, right? And when it comes to how you are the culture of the organization uh that why is that a secret why should the next person that comes into that organization not know that this future environment potential future environment can be harmful to them so there's been things that kind of have slowly been leaking like glass glass door i mean you can go on there and they will people put all the stuff on there about how they feel about the organizations um to in summer of 2020 um, college students were posting um, which organizations canceled their internships when summer mm -hmm. 2020 came. And so that became a whole thing, right? So I think that we are definitely in a culture of, of information and how we use that information or how it's put out there um, is something that is critical and important. And, and that probably segues into one of your other hot topics of what's in the news. So I'll, I'll save that for a second. But you know, I, I think it's this is great. We'll see what happens with with how this maybe translates to the rest of the country. You know, we all know California tends to be ahead of the curve. How and and in addition to that, Silicon Valley, that's where all the tech company well, many of the tech companies are. So let, they should be first. So let's see what this does. Um, there's always already that that well, one of my sayings is tech transcends industry. So we don't have to work for those giant companies to be part of tech anymore. Um, well, not even anymore. It was always a thing, but just changing our mindset. Changing our mindset. So people now have a choice. Uh, this helps with that choice. Uh, I'm excited about it. I'm excited to see what it does. Me too. And to your point, right, we've always had that choice, but it is about that mindset. And that's one of the things, you know, that I think we all need to think about is, you know, how do we transcend and change our mindsets to know that, you know, yeah, if you work, if you want to work for a big name company, that's great. But you don't have to do that to still be able to succeed in tech, to still be a CIO, to still be an engineer, to still be a developer, a programmer, a designer, data analyst, data engineer. It doesn't matter. You can do all of that. But we have, you know, um, bought into, you know, my friend <laughs> Farzine talked about the propaganda of it all, right? Is that, you know, if you want to be in tech or you want to be successful, you have to have these names of these companies, you know, on your resumes. But, you know, the point around wanting to work in environments that are safe, that are um, productive, right, that are um, collaborative and that are healthy. And so if you can't. Right. You can't uh, say, well, hey, I worked at company X and, um, you know, I made these reports or whatever because this happened and nothing happened. And then the next person goes in and the next person goes in there and the next person goes in there. Right. So, you know, 
removing that veil of secrecy when it comes to how people are treated, that is key. I mean, of course, I don't think, you know, in some in, in instances, yeah, you know, you might hear about companies stealing, you know, stealing um, uh, intellectual property, you know, one little, but it's not, that's not the thing that, 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 you know, they're trying to hide, right? What they're trying to hide are public reports. What they're trying to hide is a conversation around treatment that people um, don't like, right? And, right. and and the lack of accountability and or action around, around that treatment, right? And so- I think those two things are key, that accountability and that action. I mm-hmm. think that, especially in larger organizations, you're going to have both amazing leaders and managers and some that aren't so great. And so what, don't let those not so great leaders and managers ruin what the culture of that organization could be. So that accountability that you just said, how is the organization now responding to that leader or manager that has created this environment that doesn't represent the culture that the organization is trying to breed and foster, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so instead, now that now if they allow that person, that individual to continue to have that behavior, then yeah, absolutely, we should be able to say, and then that becomes, unfortunately, what that organization could represent. And that's not what anybody wants. Absolutely. And it's funny because in the in the um, legislation, I mean, they talk about, you know, um, that that there's a bunch of, um, you know, violations um, in terms of, you know, how companies are saying to people, if behavior is illegal, you're still not allowed to report it. And that literally makes no sense. Right. And harassment. Right. Technically, legally <laughs> is illegal. Right. Um, And so I'm excited for people to know about it, to hear about it and, you know, to realize that there's a change coming. I mean, the change is happening and this is a big piece of it. And I mean, I'm going to, you know, have to do some research, but I'm curious as to how many, um, you know, non-white male and, and, you know, non-male period technologists work in California altogether because that'd be very interesting, right? Is it 2 million people? Is it 1.8 million? I don't, whatever the number is, whatever that number is, you know, how many people have experienced um, harassment, you know, or discrimination, being underpaid, underleveled, have yeah. reported discrimination that didn't get dealt with. So to your point around building and thinking about a culture that companies want if you never get rid of the bad actors then you maintain that culture and in the in the law you know they talk about um you know information about unlawful acts but the people not you know the the company not taking action right and so this is saying um accountability is going to come you know going to going to be part of it so um yeah so that was that was super interesting um to me the other big thing uh, that happened. I mean, it was so many big things. Like I, I have like 14 articles that I'm like mm-hmm. writing stories about because it was so much this week. The other big thing or one of the other big things um, was the whistleblower, uh, Facebook whistleblower. God bless this woman. I'm like, go girl, go woman, go get it, get it. Keep on talking. We need her so bad. Um, I've been following Facebook since it was invented. And um, I only stayed on it maybe the first year and a half or so, two years. And I was like, oh, this ain't going to look good. I'm back on it now because of business. You know, you need to be on it. But the whistleblower basically coming out and saying they knew all of these things. And I mean, it's so much, right? The stuff with the foreign governments and the vulnerabilities, right, that we know exists. The, all the other stuff that, that she's going to testify about the insurrection, right, on January 6th. She's going to testify about other stuff. So the bottom line, the way I see it is, you know, our policymakers, our government officials have never understood or given any parameters to big tech. And Facebook is out of control. They've been out of control. Um, and literally, I think, personally, that the corruption and the systemic way that all of this is structured, we're still not going to see any accountability in a, in a grand scheme. I think what we might see is some big people will get fired or leave voluntarily, but it, who can, but it doesn't matter because they're going with 
uh, eight, nine digits, right? They leave them with eight and nine digits, right? So, so, so it doesn't matter if people heads get rolled, people get fired because if you leave them with eight, nine digits, your life is fine. And, and when your skin is presenting as white and your male, your life is fine anyway. Right. So, um, I don't see a lot of accountability that's going to happen, but what will be super interesting, um, is a couple of things. One, how people will start to think about these platforms and how much power um, they have and they wield. Um, so, you know, jump in on that part and yeah. just give me your thoughts. I'm going to say something that might be controversial. Say it. We I, radical. This we're is radical. radical change. You can say I, what we, you want. Yeah. So I don't, there's, there are populations, there are people in our population that need to be protected, right? Our children. We need to protect our children because they don't yet know. Um, they're they're learning and growing and their their minds are still formidable. So we got to do things to protect the children. Um, our elderly, we also got, we have to do things to protect the elderly. They did not grow up in this digital space. And so there are things that they are not as familiar with. But for the rest of us, I would like us to apply a little common sense. I'm going to call it common sense. Critical thinking, <laughs> common sense. Yes. And so... I'm not mad at Facebook. I mean, Facebook is doing what Facebook was meant to do. Facebook is making money. I have friends that work at Facebook and I, you know, there's a make, make money, make your money. I'm not mad at that. Um, but how there's a, there's a topic of how we receive information. Right. And as individuals, we can be actors of that. And we have the, we, we know that these this all of this is money revenue generating things not for us i'm not making any money off of it but it's that ad that pops up so um i saw something this week that blamed the marketers on about the how facebook is reacting because they're the ones that they're making they're making money off of this right so when facebook went down marketers were like i lost x number of dollars billions billions people was pissed billions right so they mad mad but so it's we everybody's looking at Facebook as the bad actor and the bad guy in this. And they so Facebook is doing what they set out to do. Make money. So, I, I mean, we have a choice. I don't we why are we receiving our information and our news from Facebook anyway? What can we can we start with that? We I mean, can totally start with that. And they did a study. Right. About how much. Because we get so much news from Facebook, right? When the outage happened, they looked at how many people finally went to real news, right? As opposed to a curated feed that's based on things you talk about and algorithms based on what you say and stuff you follow. So to your point about taking accountability and responsibility, again, it shouldn't be, but I think that that's a radical concept for people, right? Because we have surrendered ourselves. Like we have literally said to Google, Facebook, all of them. All the big names. Here you go. Microsoft, all of them. We said, here you go. I give you my name, my address, my phone number, my credit card. Here's uh, all the information right? about me. Oh, my mother's maiden name, my address. Then I'll tell you everything I like. Personal stuff. And let me also up, give you all of my, my images but don't use them in a way that you're not supposed to use them. Right, 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 right. I mean, and so we have to take responsibility and we have to be smarter. And so, you know, one of the other things that I, I want to do, right, is to make sure that people are informed and they have this information. So at the same time, the whistleblower, she came out, right? She talked about stuff. At the same exact time, there was a, a, a 1.6 billion data breach person data breach right so we only have 300 and now 20 something million people in the united states because we had 330 but people are dying right um we right there's that uh 1.6 people's million billions people data so that's way more than the population of the united states that's like india and china and other countries so we have all this data out there that we've freely given, right? And then when it gets sold or hacked or breached in some other way, they may or may not tell us about it, right? Because I don't know how many people even know that, right? How many people- You can even stretch it past uh, to those those 
just give that swab of your DNA and then we'll tell you about your ancestral history, which is fascinating. We all, some of us have done it. I have not. I'm an IT person. So I'm like, wait, what did you read? The I didn't want to do it. But I, I want to do it. I want to know. Of course we want to know. I but... wanted to know. And I finally did it uh, two years ago and so I didn't for you, years. You sold your DNA to the people that now. I did. And I they... won't say the name of the company or anything, but I did because but I was dying to know. Did you read the fine print? And now they have that access uh, to information. They can do whatever they want with that information. And there's yeah. been already reports and studies about, um, you know, people then them going using that that DNA for I guess we can call this good if there's like a murder case and they want to do and they the person has in there. So that that would be, I guess, a good thing. But then they use it and sell it to the drug companies. And now that you're getting solicitations for these random drugs, mm-hmm. you know, prescription drugs or what. I mean, so there, there's good and bad with everything. But I the point is that you have a choice. On whether Absolutely. you want to give that information or not, um, whether you want to, is is the trade off worth it to you? Um, and as individuals, we have that choice. But again, I'm going to go back to we got to protect the children because they don't know. Let's protect the elderly because they may not know. Um, and then everybody else, it's a choice. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it is. It's so it's so it's so much, and it has to. And with choices become come responsibilities, right? Um, and and so. I think the thing that's interesting about it also is, right, when you think about people who, um, I want to segue a little bit now into access, right? And then we can get into the other part of access. So when I think about um, the one of the pieces that came up this week was around how um, executives, you know, in Facebook and Instagram knew uh, years ago, right, that the, that the uh harm the harm right that would be done to the teenage and adolescent brain right as they are you know getting into social media and this and that and and me having a daughter that's 19 now i remember it you know a few years ago i was like on it i was taking that phone and looking through that phone and doing and she was getting upset and mad but i didn't care because as a parent right that's my job right to be to be to be doing it so so we have a whole set of circumstances and, and a whole thing that um, is available to people that have access, right? So mm-hmm. so this is a, a, a privileged group of people, right? Regardless of, of skin tone, regardless of economic right. or type of job, right? Then you have the rest of the world, right? The rest of the, the society and the communities that don't have broadband. You know, um, my friend Alan Wong, who is the, um, you know, executive director of Prairie STEM in Omaha, we had conversations about digital redlining. This week, we had another conversation about, you know, there's different organizations trying to do the same thing. But then as soon as they get to these companies and say, hey, where's the support? Where's the champions? They won't be there. And so there's another issue with how access is controlled. And I believe that that is another intentional thing, right? Because access to information, to real information, like mm, the New York Times, like maybe, um, you know, Associated Press or like maybe Reuters or BBC or The Guardian or I don't know, any kind of real newspaper, maybe Nation, I don't know, right? Um, People can't get access to that stuff, right? And so we're continuing to... Um, grow a population of uninformed, uneducated people who don't know how to think, where critical thinking is not even part of 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 what they're learning or what's in their makeup, right? right. The messages that they're hearing are very targeted, right, and streamlined to what they need, and that's creating a bigger and bigger disparity, right? Disparagement. Right. So I see this whole you know, equity and access thing across a whole spectrum from that, that tech is responsible for making worse, right? Because we know that they have plenty of money that we could have had internet, you know, like electricity in this country. Well, the problem is that it's monetized, right? And so how do we, exactly that. So broadband should be um, standard like water, it should like be you get water that comes into your house. We need that to, to survive. We need that to thrive. We, we, we need clean water, right? So we had the thing with Flint, Michigan a few years back. We and Flint to- is all over this country. We have Flint, Michigan's all... 
Portland, and, Oregon has lead in 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 water. Uh, all over the country, New Jersey has lead in the water. I mean, there's places all over poor neighborhoods that have lead. So we we deserve clean water. So we also deserve broadband, and I think that was also we that was not a secret, but there was a spotlight that was put on it um, at the height of the pandemic because they were like, okay, uh, let's get um, tablets or, or Chromebooks. Or they was giving kids. Chromebooks to mm-hmm. kids. All right, that Chromebook does no good if they don't have broadband access. What it's a paperweight if there's no access to internet. So it still was not helpful. Uh, so I think that um, organizations are, are, are trying to do more, um, but they're still trying to not lose money. It's because we've monetized it. So how do we get past that? It was, there, there were stories about you know, parents that, were, um, that were, hadn't paid their, their cable bills. And so the, they were holding hostage the internet access and the, then the children couldn't be online yeah. learning. So that's an issue. That's a problem. Our, we need our that has to have some government regulation to to figure out how that becomes as standard as clean water. Absolutely. And I think about what. So and to, for me, right, that segues into the leadership and the decisions that are made within technology companies. Because we know that the big companies, not just the tech companies, but the big companies, they're the ones who run our government, right? They're the ones who pay the politicians, who fund their campaigns and all of that, and they drive the decisions that the politicians make. How do all these politicians who their salary is $450,000 a year, they work for five years and they be a multimillionaire? Well, because they take in donations from all of these companies. So I look at it as like, like a like a giant ecosystem, right? Um, the technology ecosystem. And part of it is the piece we were just talking about, right? Where the infrastructure that needs to happen in order to have free, wide scale, you know, all around um, broadband access in the United States, that could have happened years ago. Microsoft, yeah. Apple, Facebook, Google, any of them, right? Could have worked with anybody else, Barclays, Wells Fargo, it, they could have, anybody, Mr. Bezos, any of them, they could have made this happen years ago. They could be working on it now. Our government could say, if you have this much market share, you have this, right? The number one search on Bing is Google. So so if you have this much market share, this much influence, this much whatever, you have some responsibility to the populace to the citizenry, right? So I think that the, that, and I'm not blaming it on the politicians, I'm not blaming it on companies, but the solution, in my view, it lies within holding the tech companies accountable to do the right thing. And I think that only can happen when leadership shifts, which is why the main reason that I wanted to talk to you is about reboot representation. Because in my view, because I've been in technology 30-something years, I know that women will make different decisions in leadership. I know. I can tell you, as as CEO now of my own company, even though I only have four people, (laughs) right? But I know that if any person ever got accused of sexually harassing a person, touching a person, inappropriate word out their mouth, we're going to have a talk you can either make it right and we get get it fixed or you out the door. But in these bigger companies, right, that to the point earlier about the culture, right, that culture is what the leaders make it. But I think if we had a culture where 50 percent of the leadership were women and people were uh, uh, look like the population of human beings. that that. exists that same stuff wouldn't happen just like i believe if women had half of all the leadership positions we wouldn't have all this exploitation of children and women we wouldn't have it we wouldn't be fighting for the right to vote still right Mm -hmm. i mean the the, you know equal rights right for for women we wouldn't be fighting for equal pay right so let's talk about inside of tech what is going on and what stuff needs to happen because it, it needs to happen. <laughs> There's a lot that needs to happen. I mean, one of the key things that you just said is that if, if insert company there, if the organization reflected the population in the community that they serve, it would have a different feel and culture and different decisions would be made. 
Um, to go back to what you said about um, government, right? What if what if our organizations disclosed to their employee base how they were supporting political decisions? There's a some organizations have a pact, had, and some individuals have that choice to, um, you know, to be able to donate to that. But don't do you have the right? Are they also telling you these are the these are the political things that we're supporting? These are the views we saw a little bit of that with uh, January sixth and how we saw some companies pull out because of that. And I think that was the first. There were probably ten companies that were like, "We're not. We're going to pause on this." That were and it was very visible and very very public. But outside of that. Do we have visibility to what our what York the company that you work for? How are they supporting um, politicians and influencing legislation? So um, that would be my first. Let's see if you can make that happen as an individual. If you're going to give to that pack, um, then you should you should know how that money is being donated, how it's being uh, how it's influencing direction and change. That would be mm -hmm. my first my first call. And then, so reboot representation. Let me let's talk about that for a, a bit. I am uh, celebrating my two-year anniversary this month. Two years uh, being CEO of Reboot Representation, and I am so honored and thrilled to be the one leading this this charge and this cause. And our mission, for those that are not familiar with us, we are a coalition of amazing companies that have come together to. Um, double the number of Black, Latina, and Native American women graduating with computing degrees by 2025. We do and, Yes, yes, yes. But it, the reason why we even exist. So let's let's go to that. Um, there was a survey that was done of amazing air quotes around that leading companies, um, and those organizations represented about 500 billion in revenue. 500 million in philanthropic giving. And we wanted to understand what they were doing with that philanthropic giving. Because in the media, this is 2017 now, the media, there was lots of stories about, hey, news. We, these companies are investing in women. And so back then it was just women. We, you know, the, the world has shifted. Do we focus on people of color or do we focus on women? And it shifted to focusing on women. So we're focusing on women. We need more women in tech. So Okay, it says you're investing in women in tech. Let's see. So, 500 million in in, in collective philanthropic giving. Those companies were only spending five percent of that money on women and girls in tech. Five percent. That's it. And it gets worse. Those organizations were spending 0.1 percent on Black, Latina, and Native American women and girls in tech. So pause. No, I'm, let, me, let me give you the full number. Let me give you the number. So 500 million in philanthropic giving from 32 companies, 0.1% of that is only 335K on Black, Latina, and Native American women and girls. That's it. And so you have all these organizations that are like, we're investing, we can't find them, we don't know. And then their philanthropic giving was not matching. So yes, that number is, is pause worthy because... You can say they were spending nothing on it, but they all wanted to complain that there mm -hmm. there was no, we don't know where they are. We can't find them, et cetera, et cetera. And in addition to that, the pipeline really was shrinking. So there's there's those who are going to argue that there's no pipeline issue. Yes, there is. Um, when we you can look at the public data, iPads numbers, which is anybody can search through. It's a pain, but you can search through it. And for 2017 numbers, when we were looking at all the reports, trying to understand who's graduating with computing degrees. We know that computing and tech is the future. Um, who, who's graduating? And 4% of that graduating population were Black, Latina, and Native American women. That's Combined. That. Combined, 4%. And that number was down by about 40% over the previous decade. The, the numbers show it, it was it was steadily decreasing um, and that number wasn't projected to double to eight percent until the year 2052 without interventions. So that's why Reboot exists. So Reboot exists to help solve for that very specific portion of the pipeline um, of, of Black, Latina, Native American women. So we, and again, I'm going to be very specific. That's our target population. 
There are other populations that are also underrepresented in tech, but that BLNA, as we say for short, BLNA women are the least represented in mm -hmm. tech. And so there's a saying that many of you probably have heard, rising tides raise all ships. So we're going to focus on the least represented in the population. And that's going to raise and elevate everyone. So reboot, repre re reboot representation um, companies, tech companies who are like, yes, we should do more, be better. Um, we've, and we have a ways to go. They have joined the coalition um, at various tiered levels. And then my team, we align and partner with nonprofits and that can include higher ed institutions. And we invest in programs and initiatives that are in alignment with our mission, which again is to double the number of BLNA graduating with computing degrees by 2025. Um, so we're here to fund um, underfunded organizations that are going to make a wide impact across the country. We're not focused outside of the U.S. We're, we're very U.S. focused. Mm -hmm. Many of our companies are global companies, but they also recognize this need within the U.S. Um, so that's why we exist. Um, I'm happy to say that the numbers are increasing. Uh, so this is year three of the coalition. Um, and we can, we can you know, look at the data, the numbers are increasing. However, um, that percentage is not increasing. So what that means is um, not just BLNA women and girls are, are like, ooh, there's this thing over here called tech. I should look at that, which we need and we want. Um, but other people are also like, ooh, tech is definitely the future. Let me go over here and, and make sure that I'm part of that. Um, so we need more of that for our black and brown communities so that they can have an active part in the future, um, not just for jobs, because we know jobs are important and that we know that there are many ways into tech. So you, you know, with boot camps and apprenticeships, there's no one pathway into tech. Um, with Reboot, we're also trying to set up those baseline credentials of that baccalaureate degree so that they can also be those future leaders. And if they choose to be in corporate America, they can have the opportunity to rise into those leadership roles or go on and be entrepreneurs. But when they look at that resume, you've got that checkmark credential. And we need them to go on and get master's degrees and go back and get PhDs because there's also a deficit of black and brown women doing those things. Mm -hmm. And we need to go back and be educators and guidance counselors because we need to see ourselves in all these places and help influence that next generation of amazing black and brown people so that they are not left out of the future. Absolutely. I love that. And it's funny because I have had so many conversations with really young um, you know, we call them like, you know, recent college graduates or, you know, early, who have said they they in their entire time in um, undergrad, they never had a black CIS professor, or, you know, in any of the sciences at all. Yeah. I've met people, you know, because I'm from the East Coast originally, but I've been on the West Coast for seven years now. But I've met people on the West Coast. They never had any black teachers like ever in their life, um, you know, um, and it's it's super interesting um, because seeing yourself is one piece of representation. But then, yes. you know, when I think about the experiences that I've had young women tell me about being in an engineering, you know, an engineering class or another class and how they it's the same experience that we have in the corporate world. Right. It's I, when you're the only, I, right? I went to a majority institution for undergrad and I majored in computer science. OK. And in my freshman class, there were three black people, myself and two black men. In, in my freshman class. And at the end of freshman year, I was the only one standing. By my junior year, I decided to change my major. Um, not because I couldn't do computer science, but because I looked around and I was like, I do not want to do this. I don't want to I had that image of, you know, sitting in a dark room and doing all the coding. And then I'm looking at these people that I'm sitting around and I'm like, I do not want to be stuck with these people for the rest of my life. And so I changed my major to business because I was like, they're having fun in the business school. It looks more inclusive over there. Yeah. Um, I, I can make more of a change and be more of myself over there. So my junior year, I changed my major. But thankfully, that change in major for me was not a change out of technology and a change out of my career path, which I really do love. Um, so I I want the young folks that come behind us to be able to see themselves in this space. Mm -hmm. It's not just the traditional um, white dude with a hoodie that is in 
tech, right? And that's leading tech. It's also the black woman with the fro that can lead tech. It's also the um, amazing woman with the hijab that is leading tech. We Tech is everything and it's for everyone. It, it, one of the things I tell young people is take your passions and marry it with tech and you will change the future because tech transcends industry and it, there's a place for all of us to be part of it. So I think that there, there's so much that um, we can do. And I, I love, I, I briefly saw a comment about um, mentoring. So I'm going to yep. plug my yeah. program. Yes, please. Yes. So we reboot representation. We are we've, we've we're evolving as we are continuing to grow. We have 14 grantee partners right now. And in the beginning, when our companies joined, it was that financial support. They were they were giving. And that was that was a great. Yes, we need all the money. Give more money. We can use absolutely more money. That's baseline checkmark. But we need more than money. We need visible representation. And so um, when I was, so many of the programs that we partner with have mentoring, but the gap that we saw was that Black, Latina, Native American women in college did not have mentors that looked like them in industry. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. we, with our mentoring program that is just now launching, we are trying to fill that void and that gap. So um, for our corporate partners, if you are at any of our corporate partners, um, I and you're a Black, Latina, Native American woman, I need you to sign up for our mentoring program. Um, and we are going to match you with Black, Latina, Native American women that are in undergrad. They need to see you. They need to hear you. Um, and they need your support. I, I love that. I mean, you know, I think about that all the time. And I've done a couple of talks on mentoring and sponsorship. And I started mentoring at a really young age. I actually started mentoring when I was in high school. I mentored middle school kids and high school kids. And then it's, it continued. And even when I went to college, um, we had uh, programs um, with schools. I went to Temple um, and we had programs with schools in North Philly. And yes. we would, um, you know, uh, we like sponsored a, a whole school or a class in a school. Like, you know, like a bunch of people had a, a school and you might have, you know, we like eight people might have one class or whatever. So I've gotten into the habit of it because it's really, really important because there's literally no way. Right. A new young person, especially woman, especially black, brown, Latina in tech. Like, I mean, trying to navigate that and trying to figure figure it out after, you know, already having probably traumatic experiences if they did go to a predominantly white institution for college. Right. And if they major in computers. Oh, my goodness. Right. Or any of the STEM STEAM topics, they are usually full filled with males, right? And so I mean, you telling me that three in the whole class and only one woman, I mean, that's just and and so when you when you then move that same experience into the workplace and you don't see yourself, right? And and it even makes it more dynamic, right? Because not only do you not have the opportunity to collaborate and partner and work with other people that you have things in common, you're like the outsider because you're the only, right? And anything you say and do, all the old stuff that we don't even have to get into, but the whole thing, you either representing the whole race, you're angry, you have an attitude, this, that, like whatever all the the thes are, that stays. And so yeah. it gets more and more difficult the fewer resources and people and support system that you had support system that you have. So it's, it's definitely critical. And I think, you know, mentoring as young and as early as possible um, and people can start that, that journey early, right? Uh, If a person is in high school, they can mentor their own sibling or a a neighbor or a cousin, right? Um, And, and, and keep it going. So I think that's 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 huge and that's a, a really big deal. Um, you know, I'm I'm looking, I wanna like hit to some of the comments. One of the things I'm thinking about, you know, um is is how are you helping companies understand that it's like it's not that that there's a lack of people or that there is a lack of um skills right that that black and brown people have 
Yeah. One thing I know that a lot of tech companies do is they go to specific pools, right? So they are specifically looking at, um, you know, the Ivies and, and Stanford and MIT, right? right? Or, you know, a couple others, maybe Caltech or whatever. But what about all the HBCUs? What about the state schools? What about the programs like, you know, Year Up and, and others, right, that are training, you know, um, all those coding programs that are training people in the skills, right? Because there's even levels where we're shut out from an academic standpoint, right? And being in high so school. Much, yeah, you said so much with that. Let me, let me, jump, <laughs> in. Let me jump in. There's a, there's a few key points that I, I want to, to highlight. Um, so, companies need to branch out of those standard big schools that they tend to go to. And I will, I, I am proud to say that many of the companies that I work with are doing that now. Um, and so they are going to um, the, the state schools to, to recruit, which is great, right? We know that state schools are more diverse. They are partnering more with HBCUs. Um, they are partnering more with community colleges. They are partnering more with those apprenticeships. Um, I said earlier that um, there are many pathways into tech. It's not just through the, the bachelor's degree, right? Um, we can get amazing talent from community colleges, from apprenticeships, from boot camps with certificates, things like that. We, we, those people are going to be amazing value adds to any organization. Um, here's here's my, my, my beef with all of this. I want a plan. I want these organizations that are, have done a great job of now recruiting from non-standard places to also have a plan to continue to develop this amazing talent. I, in five years, when we're looking at looking at amazing diversity numbers, I do not want to see all of the black and brown people in the bottom rung of the organization. I, I don't. I, that, so that's the next thing, right? We've got 30% more black people, but they're all in the bottom of the organization. I do not want to see that. So what then, once we get people in the door, how are they able to continue to learn, evolve, and grow in that company if that's what they choose to do? Some companies are doing a great job with regards to tuition reimbursement where people can then go back to school and higher ed and get bachelor's degrees if that's what they choose. Um, but I think we are not there yet. And so I want to continue have, to have that be top of mind for companies that are doing it right or doing something different. So that's first. Second, I love the partnerships with HBCUs. Um, we love our HBCUs. They produce amazing Black talent. We know that. So shout out to all the HBCUs. Um, however, this is the controversial part. They, black women are not graduating from HBCUs in computing. We, I've, I've got, again, public data charts and looking at where black women are graduating from computing and majority black women that graduate from computing are going to majority serving institutions. Mm -hmm. So my fear is that when you have said company that's like, I partnered with this HBCU to get my black talent, and that's not a significant place where Black women are graduating from computing. And then they try to put them in these roles that maybe they're not prepared for or ready for, or, or they put them into other roles that are less technical. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to just say like a project management role. There's nothing wrong with project management, but that is, does not have as much earning potential as those technical roles. So I don't want them to be like, let's steer them here into this less lesser path, unless that's what the, the woman chooses to do. But company, don't go there, be disappointed and say, well, I tried to partner with the school and then they didn't produce the talent that I needed. So um, we wrote actually um, a couple of, of, of blogs on what companies could and should and need to be doing. I've got a blog series called Dear Tech Companies, uh, comes out every other month and we give them not just the, this is what you're doing wrong, but also the actionable tips on what they're supposed to be doing right, um, different things they need to consider. So, um, and also recently we just published in the Stanford Social Innovation Review, um, two case studies from two of our corporate partners on um, different ways of doing things, things that are going well. Um, one of which I'm going to call out um, one of our companies, Dell, does an amazing job of partnering with HBCUs um, and also recruiting non-standard or um, untraditional uh, backgrounds or uh, majors. And because they looked at their 
their job descriptions and their job functions. And they were saying, hmm, do we really need a four-year degree for this? Guess not. Or what is a high growth area? And so they were like, we have this whole department over here where you don't need a degree and you can be really successful and you can make a whole lot of money. So let's shift and figure out how we can recruit more people here. And so we need more companies to look at those job functions and be with a critical eye and say, do we really have these requirements as an accurate reflection of what we need? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, a couple of things. Recruit from non-standard different places, then figure out how you can elevate people in the organization. What are those plans? Because it's not enough to just recruit diverse talent. Mm -hmm. You have to also work to retain and promote the talent that you have. It does no good to recruit X number of people when you got the same number of people walking out the back door. That's a waste of your investment. It's more expensive on the company. So there should be programs and initiatives to develop and foster the talent that you have. Um, so what, what does that look like and what does that mean? And then um, what does partnership look like with Hispanic serving institutions, HBCUs, tribal colleges and universities? Let's really invest in those institutions and have a real partnership. Don't just say, hey, let me give you this random technology and then that, that, that instructor has to figure out how they're going to have time to develop the curriculum around it. And oh, by the way, they may not have the infrastructure for it. Man, that's not even what they need. What they need is that uh, insert thing here, ask that institution what they need, don't assume, and then be a real partner so that mm-hmm. you can create that real pathway from that organization. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and so, you know, so many things came up as you were talking about that. I mean, so first I'm thinking about the large tech companies that have large customer service operations and they may have centers, you know, um, customer ops centers in different, you know, random, not random, but strategic, right, uh, locations. And, And what they'll do is they'll have in the customer service area of these big companies, that's where you mostly have the black and the brown, right? Um, indigenous, if any, right, women um, in those roles. And then they get stuck in those categories, right, in those jobs, even when they have different degrees. So to your point about, and, and you know, and um, McKinsey t- t- does it every year, the, the lean-in study, right, and they talk about that bottom rung and how many start there and you go up and up and, and hardly anyone makes it. The point that I thought, that's a black or a brown person or a woman. The point that I that I thought was really interesting as I as you were talking and I was thinking about if black women aren't getting CIS or other STEM degrees from HBCUs and they're getting them from the you know uh, PWIs, then they're that means they're in the same exact candidate pool as white guy with the hoodie, right? Um, yeah, and so. Definitely. If I'm the hiring manager and I'm a white guy who was wearing a hoodie 15 years ago, I'm going to hire the person that looked just like I looked 15 years ago. That's what I'm happened. not going to hire this black person who I don't even know anything about. I don't even know black people did technology or whatever they believe. Right. Because right. they don't ever see us. So so we really have to um, put a, 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 a like a sincere focus in. Right. On uh, on supporting um, on supporting it. So um, let's talk about you know we can get into some of the um, some of the the chat because Dawn and and Eric and everybody they we they we having a lot of good conversation in here you know um, talking specifically about you know the non traditional places to get to get talent right Um, and and when you think about technology I see it as as being much more accessible for everybody to be able to use, right, and, and, and take advantage of if we had the right infrastructure, of course, because yeah. of the portability of it, right? As, as opposed to, like, I think about, you know, um, like some of the trades where you can't just do it, you know, like I had my house painted. That's the thing you have to go out and do, right? But if you have some sort of tablet, some sort of device, Right. There's other things that you can that you can do to help people on board to technology and and learn technology. And so having those um, 
those resources and those systems and that bigger way of thinking about it, I think is is is, is critical. What are some of um, in addition to, you know, the people talking about the the, the sources of where to get these, um, you know, these candidates and and the other issue around once they get into the environment, right, and get into the company, if they are the only, what are the challenges that the companies are saying that they're having, right, with with the retainment piece of it? I'm curious about that part. I don't know that I or the companies are there yet. Okay. So I'm going to let me there's a couple things. I'm I'm big on data. And so whether we're talking about uh, programs that we're investing in or we're talking about these major corporations, the first thing is we can't create any programs or initiatives without understanding the data. So we need to, one, collect the data. Mm -hmm. Two, it needs to be disaggregated by race and gender at the very least. And so let me just break that down for, for those that haven't seen it. Um, so when sometimes when you say you look at a program and have a visual and you say, how many men and how many women? And you may say, OK, I've got 30 percent women and I've got 70 percent men. And so we need to work on women, which is what's happening. Right. We ooh, we need to work on women. Let's get 50 50 women. Right. And so that looks like. All right. What does that look like? And so then another way to break that down is let's break that down by race. And if you say, OK, we have 40 percent Asian and 40 percent white and the the remaining is all the other stuff mm -hmm. all the other okay so we know that we have predominantly white and asian people this is not a secret and tech especially nope and then you know everybody else falls in the middle so you know you may look at that and be like all right so the main thing we need to work on when you look at these two charts separately is we should probably focus on women which is what happened for a very long time but when you start really breaking down that data and you look and you say, wow, we only have, of, when you look at that 30% of women and the majority of those women are white and Asian and mm -hmm. it's even fewer, um, everybody else. So how do we really design programs and initiatives? How do we know what we're investing in? How do we know what we're solving for if we don't truly understand the data? And so by minimum, uh, disaggregated by race and gender, and then if we're talking about um, our corporate partners, let's also break that down by job function and level. So then we can see ooh, all the black women are at the bottom of the organization. All the black women are the admins in, in our company. Mm -hmm. You walk in and you see the receptionist, she's black and she counts in the numbers. But so let's also break this down by job function, level, race and gender so that we can say this is what we need to solve for. Are we doing this with our candidate slates? So we know when we are interviewing for jobs, what our candidate slates look like. Is that actually diverse? Do you have, you know, I want to, I hear organizations saying, well, we can't move forward with the candidate slate unless we have um, at least two women that are interviewed. Okay, well, you've just interviewed a bunch of white dudes and a white and an Asian woman. Right. So let's let's that was a first step, but that wasn't that's not good enough. So we need to get better with that. Um, and then here's the thing. Uh, exit interviews. Are we doing exit interviews at all? Are you doing it? Some are some are. But then what are you doing with that information and how are you determining, especially as we over the last 18 months, we've heard about this term, the she session, right, with women leaving mm -hmm. the workforce. Um, at a ridiculous rate. And so even before the C-session, do we actually understand why people are leaving? And do we actually understand, you know, how we can possibly retain them? And now that we're talking about remote work and hybrid work, do we do you know what your employees need and want? And it's going to vary by industry. It's going to vary by corporate culture. It's going to vary by location in the country, right? So those, some person that was commuting two hours one way is going to maybe during the pandemic is like, I don't want to commute four hours a day. I want to spend that time with my family. I'm right. going to not do this job anymore. Or those of us that live in large cities where we don't necessarily have that crazy commute, but it's that those amenities, like for me, I've got little kids. I can't work in my apartment. You would, the out of bins, you would see a little head right here, right now, if I was at home working for my apartment. 
Um, so do you really understand what your employees need? Are we taking those surveys? Is it different for the Black woman as compared to the Latina, as compared to the Asian woman, as compared to the white woman? Women are not a monolith. So understand what your employees need so that you can provide the services to both recruit and retain the people that you that you want to foster and develop. Absolutely. And we know, right, not only because of the great resignation, but because of the number of especially black and brown women that are, you know, spinning up startups. You know what I mean? Um, Because if you if you have been in a particular industry or field, you know, for decades. Right. And, And you get to a point where you're like things aren't progressing your career isn't progressing the way you want to you can make decisions you talked earlier right we talked about choices right making choices to um you know to to manage your 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 own career right but i mean the the entire thing right when we think about the the even larger goals right for society the larger goals that we have for equity larger goals we have for inclusion for change you know to to rise all of the ships, right? So that we can right. all do better. I was thinking last night, I, I guess because of so many things, think about my old, my, my, my Baptist church upbringing, right? And I was just remembering, you know, the, the, the least person among us, right? The, the, the more we care for the person who has the least or the person at the bottom, that is going to be, be the thing that we, that we need to do and focus on. And, you know, this is another area where we um, have to continue to drive radical change. Reboot representation is is, you know, making moves and, and trying to make stuff happen. That goal about, you know, the increase by 2025. How, how you know, how, how's that coming along? Um, like, are you feeling good about that? And then, you know, to close us out, you know, what can those of us who are listening, those who are you know, who who want to support these efforts, what should we be doing? Great question. Um, so one, we, we're, we're doing well with regards to the numbers. The, the numbers of BLNA women are increasing with regards to going into and graduating with tech degrees, but it's not enough. Okay. Um, the percentage and the proportion is not increasing, although the numbers are increasing. So um, I don't want to just say, check, we're making this goal. I want, I still want more. So okay. I... I, there's, I, I want a lot. So one, um, what can people do? It depends. What is your recognizing your place of privilege and how you can influence or help the situation? Mm-hmm. We all have a place of privilege. So um, for myself, what does that mean? I want to, we're going to be leaders. We're going to be mentors. We're going to be coaches. We're going to be sponsors. Um, how are we bringing that next generation along? How are we bringing our coworkers and our peers and supporting each other along? And, you know, I can have probably a whole other session on what that means and what that looks like. So think about ways that you can influence and use your place of privilege to help someone else. Um, Two, we need that. I'm going to go back to that data. If you're a a decision maker or you're one that does is into the data where they were talking about investing in programs, um, whether we're talking about that hiring slate, exit interviews, or that profile within the organization, we don't know what we're solving for unless you have a real baseline of data. So mm-hmm. like the data disaggregated by race, gender at the least. Um, and then for our, our individuals can't call themselves allies. You don't get to self. Nope. I'm an ally. No, you, you don't get to call yourself an ally. It's you, you're out being an ally for those out there that are not in um, um, a minority status. Um, that's something that is somebody else gets to call you an ally. So look at how you can do things different, whether you're talking about um, empathy. That's huge. We need to have more empathy, try to understand somebody else's situation or where they're coming from, which requires a little bit of communication. So how are we communicating differently? Um, are you a leader or a manager? Do you, do you, does your team feel comfortable to bring their, their full selves to work? I always tell, you know, you hear, um, you should be able to bring your full self to work. Um, which I want, I'm in my full self all the time. So I don't know how not to be, it's too much work not to be, but there's a lot of people that feel that they can't. And so workplace, are you creating and fostering an environment where individuals can bring their full selves to work? We gotta create that infrastructure in that place so people can say, I can be me. Absolutely. Um, 
And so um, what is our, what is, how are we able to do that? I think um, employer resource groups inside of a corporation are huge. Um, we, and so we, that is that, that place where um, us as individuals can contribute and have sense of community. Um, it, I, during the pandemic, corporations that had strong employee resource groups, those groups were helping to hold the culture of the organization together, which is amazing. Um, but hey, leaders, let's not just rely on these resource groups to hold the culture together. Let's compensate these leaders of the employee resource groups in some way, right? Because they are doing this extra volunteer job outside of their day job, outside of what they get paid for, holding your culture together. So how are we compensating them for that? Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's a lot of other, I can talk a whole couple other hours. Well, we can talk and we can get back on and we can talk more stuff. Um, I loved it. I'm like, man, it's after time, but it went so well. I have to thank you again. I mean, and these conversations are important and I'm going to keep on having them. There's no controversy. I think the only controversy is in silence, right? Is is not bringing these things to the forefront. And we have, you know, um, kept our heads down and low for too long, right? And it's time to do what we need to do so that we can, um, you know, get to that point. So I want to say thank you, Duana. I want to say thank you to Dawn and everybody who um, joined today, those of you who are going to watch us on the replay, um, you can catch that. Um, But, you know, just stay tuned for the group chat and I will be back on Saturdays and we'll definitely have you back on, Dawana. Thank you once again. So happy Saturday and thanks, everybody. All right. Bye.